0: We are going to take a deep dive today into the kingdom of God with a very special guest, a man who's quite literally written the books on the kingdom of God. So buckle up, strap in, and hang on. We're going to have some fun. Let's get to it today. All things to all people podcast. Welcome back to the All Things to All People podcast with Michael Burns. I am Michael Burns and we're continuing to go through uh, the book, my book, Escaping the Beast and the topic of how do we engage with the world as the kingdom of God when it comes to issues like politics and justice. And today, as I mentioned at the end of the last episode and then In the teaser, just a few moments ago, I have a very special guest. For me, I'm I'm very excited about this. We have today uh, author, teacher, uh, a bunch of other words I could use to describe, uh, but Tom Jones. Now, let me stop you there. If you're thinking of the Tom Jones, you know it's not unusual to be loved. Wrong Tom Jones. This is a better Tom Jones. This is Tom A. Jones. And I'm so excited that he's able to join us today for the podcast. So, without any further ado, my guest, which I've been teasing you about, but not yet telling you until just a minute ago, uh, is Tom A. Jones. And let me tell you, if you don't know who Tom Jones is, Uh, He's an incredible man, and and I don't say this lightly. He's actually a a hero of mine who I've known about for a couple decades now and and followed along and and now um, am able to uh, know him personally and talk to him here on the podcast, and so I'm very excited about that. Tom Jones founded Discipleship Publications International, DPI, And he was the editor-in-chief there for nine years. Um, He worked at DPI uh, next to his wife, Sheila, who's an amazing woman and uh, author in her own right. They currently live in Nashville, um, and he's a teacher in the Nashville church there. He's been an evangelist, a a teacher, an editor, and uh, probably a whole bunch of other things that I'm missing He's he's author of a number of incredible books, including uh, Mind Change, the the Baptized Life, the classic I think you can call it a classic, the Prideful Soul's Guide to Humility. I still know people who read that every year um, and are challenged by by that book every year. Um, he, he wrote a book called One Another, and then perhaps my favorite. The series of books: The Kingdom of God, Volume One; The Kingdom of God, Volume Two; The Sermon in the Life, and then uh, the the third volume, which just came out this year, Learning War No More. Um, So, Tom, it's really good to have you on today. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'll just start out with a generic question: How are you doing today? (laughs)
1: Thanks, Michael. (laughs) I'm doing well. It's uh, great to be with you. I want to quickly say that several of those books you mentioned were co-authored. Also, uh, Prideful Souls, Mike Fontenot, my longtime friend Mike Fontenot, worked with me on that book. And then the first two volumes of The Kingdom, uh, my good friend here in Nashville, Steve Brown, who I've been here in Nashville with off and on. He comes and goes, but he's been here off and on for 15 years. Uh, he wrote the and and also they won another book. So want to make sure. And my wife is co-author of one of the books we did on uh, "To Live as Christ." She and I worked on that one together on Philippians. So just want to make sure people know. I,
0: I appreciate that. I I just made the same mistake that most of us make when reading Paul's letters. Even though Paul says he has co-authors for most of his letters, we just say that Paul wrote them and we disregard the other, the other authors who probably would be slightly annoyed, I I would guess, but (laughs) I I appreciate that, uh, that clarification. Um, that's actually, how how many books have you written? Do you, can you count that high off the top of your head? Uh,
1: I forget. It's. (laughs) It's between 15 and 17, somewhere in that.
0: Okay. Well, see, that's impressive right there when you've gotten to a point where you don't remember how many books you've written uh, exactly. And uh, I, I, for one, certainly appreciate all that you've written over the years and the contribution that you've made, um, I think, to, uh, to churches, to the kingdom of God, and to, to my own uh, personal life. Uh, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I continue to have, I, I had recently a minister who is not part of our family of churches. Uh, I was talking to him and he's like, Hey, do you know anything? I think you might know about this book, the prideful souls guide to humility. How can I get a copy of that? And he, he was reading that is, uh, you know, uh, there's folks in his church who were reading it. And so it, it just continues to, um, uh, have an impact you know and and what a great book and but you know I'm we're we're here on the all things to all people podcast and we're we're talking about politics and justice and the kingdom of god and so uh, we got to a certain point of the kingdom and and we've kind of slowly been making our way through uh, my book escaping the beast and in chapter 4 I, I talk about how the kingdom of god is a, a real kingdom but it's one without, you know, typical geographic borders. Uh, we talk about the idea of it, you know, when did it arrive? Well, it's been coming in waves and it continues uh, that process. And it's it's a real but very different sort of kingdom. And I wanted to stop and have a, a great discussion about the kingdom. And so I thought, what better way than to have uh, you come on who've written you know, at least these three books—the series of books specifically on the Kingdom of God—and and I think they're just great. They're e- they're easy to read. Uh, they, they've been influential in, in my life and thinking. And I, I, you know, I remember the first time that I read the Kingdom of God, Volume One, and I'm going to look and say that came out in 2010. Um, And so I I read that book and I thought, man, not only was the content uh, so well done and spot on, I I remember telling people at the time, this is like a master's class in how to carefully and respectfully write some very challenging things to leaders who have maybe missed some things. Biblically, or uh, you know, need need some things explained more adequately, and and there was such uh, an an integrity to the way you wrote, but also just just very deft and very careful and respectful in in the way that you challenged some of the status quo, and I, I thought that was brilliant, and and so on top of the. Uh, just the subject area itself, I, I learned a ton from the way that you, you and Steve approached that book. And so I very much appreciate that. Um, but let me ask you a question here because nobody wants to hear me yap on and on. Why have a great guest and then me spend all the time talking. Um, so I'll, I'll, give, I'll give maybe a softball question here to start with. How would you describe the kingdom of God to someone who's never heard of the concept before? How would you go about explaining that in, mm. in basic terms? Mm.
1: I actually think that's a challenging question. I don't consider <laughs> it a softball.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've wrestled with that a good deal in the last number of years. But, of course, you know, Michael, that Jesus never defined the kingdom of God that's right and so uh, he never gave us a nice little package Uh, he makes us dig Uh, and so I think I would have to tell somebody that since the Christian faith is one of those Abrahamic faiths that is rooted in history as opposed to eastern religions that have almost no concern for history whatsoever. Uh, it's irrelevant. Uh, since Christian faith is rooted in history, you, you kind of have to start with some history here. And, and so as God has worked with his people, described, you know, in the Tanakh, the old covenant scriptures, uh, it's been clear and, and of course i'm short-circuiting short-circuiting a lot of things but it's been clear that they developed an expectation that god was going to come in some special way uh, and the, the kingdom of god was going to be breaking into their lives in some way and it seems that the expectation they had developed was that they're living in the present age and 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 when the kingdom comes, that's going to be the introduction to the age to come. Mm. And and when that age to come arrives, and, and different Jewish expectations kind of come in play here, but it seems the predominant one was the idea that God will set up his kingdom. The new age will begin. The old age will end. And, it, and it's likely that the Jews will be in the ascendancy quite the opposite of what they've been most of their lives as a, as a people. Uh, they won't be under the heels of the Assyrians or Babylonians or Persians or Romans anymore. Mm. God will win a great victory, set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, probably you know, and, and the Jewish people will dominate. They will, they will be the ones who are, ascending over all the others. But when Jesus comes, he has a new twist on all that. And the kingdom is definitely coming. John the Baptist saw it coming. It's near. And you've read the books, you know, it's near doesn't necessarily mean it's way out there, but getting closer near usually means it's here. Near means here.
0: Right.
1: So, uh, And so it became obvious that Jesus didn't see the present age ending right now. It's going to go on. And Jesus is calling his disciples to live a new life, a very different life, distinctive life in the midst of the present age. And that's the nature of the kingdom, to live the future in the present and you do a great job in the beast to talk about some of the antecedents of all that in the old Testament, uh, the the now not yet kind of concept. So I would go down that road, you know, help somebody understand and maybe talk some about that great crucial phrase in the sermon on the Mount in the, what we usually call the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Perfect example of Hebrew parallelism where you see the idea of the kingdom is when God's will is done on earth in the present age as it is in the age to come. Uh, and so. It's so different, actually, we might get into this from the normal thinking in Christian circles uh, about let's get saved so we can go to heaven when we die. Right. No, it's so different from that. It's let's receive the kingdom and start living it right now. And we'll, we'll let the future take care of the future. But Jesus is mainly calling us to a life now.
0: That's such a great point. And, and I think you're spot on there with the, the, the difference. If um, you know, Can you talk about that a little more, that difference between, uh, the way I describe it sometimes is I think people shrink down the idea of the kingdom to just a spiritual reality that you know sort of hits now, but is really about dying and going to heaven one day versus the kingdom. How, how do you see the difference between those two ideas really playing out? Uh, in, in modern Christianity? Mm.
1: Well, uh, I, I like the way you take certain hymns uh, in, your, in your book, In the Beast, talk about the theology kind of behind those, those hymns. Uh, there's a view, and I don't know if so much of this was formed during the Great Depression, when life was tough, for a lot of people but it seemed like the focus became almost entirely on the next life you
0: know mm.
1: you can just make it through this life uh, hold on then uh, beyond the blue somewhere beyond the blue right <laughs> you know, it's going to be this, this great life uh, and that's definitely there I mean there's definitely a, an expectation but I see in Jesus, the emphasis on how you deal with people right now. Uh, it, it's, it's more about loving God now and mit, in the midst of this real, uh, challenging world that we live in and, and being a very distinctive people. Uh, when we were working on all of this in Nashville back 10 years ago, uh, Keith Davis, who is about to move to Jacksonville uh, and be the, the lead evangelist there, you, you mentioned to me off the camera here or off off, off Mike, you had some connection with some brothers in Jacksonville. Well, well Keith coined a phrase for us. Uh, he said, "What we are now as Christians is we're aliens from the future." Mm. Uh, and uh, I like somehow that. Steve, Steve and I in all our study had not come up with that one that, that we were aliens from the future and of course you've got the aliens that Peter and others talk about in the New Testament that's who we are, we're strangers and aliens, we're living this, this land is kind of a foreign land to us in one sense uh, but we're living the way we are because of what the future dictates the future is going to be like. But I think so few Christians in our churches and in other churches. I don't think we're. I don't think we're. I don't think we're unique. I think we have the same problem a lot of churches do. Mm. And, and of course, there's that historical clash between kind of a social gospel. This world is all that really matters, and the the next world how did some people put it you're so uh, heavenly conscious you're of no earthly good kind of thing right, right right yeah um and so anyway i i'm having trouble wrapping up that thought <laughs> but i think you know where i'm trying to go yeah
0: no that's that's great and and no problem you know I, Anyone listening here knows we're just shooting off the cuff. We're making this up as we go along and um, ha- having oh, fun. And by the way,
1: by, by the way, there's something that yeah. I should reveal to your your listeners. All right, um,
0: <laughs> an an exclusive.
1: I came across I cram, ac- yeah. I came across a little uh, notebook. I bought a little journal that I bought when I went to Jerusalem, along with a lot of other leaders for a. Jerusalem conference. Okay, um, not the, not the one in Acts fifteen, <laughs> and and I think this was about the time, if I read you right, that you and Micretia were getting married, like nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. Okay. So so I'm while you're getting married, we're in Jerusalem having a conference. Wow. And and Frank Kim, uh, who was at the time one of the world sector leaders. As the terminology was in our churches, Uh, Frank gave a message unlike any message I'd ever heard from any of our leaders. And he used a phrase, and I'd forgotten a little about it until I found this journal the other day. We we moved recently, so all my journals got put in different places, and I'm trying to run them all down. Anyway, I found my notes on that conference in this journal, this little journal book, and uh, I thought I'm probably only going to go to Jerusalem one time in my life, so I ought to document the whole thing. And so Frank uh, spoke and talked about how leaders need to process their relationship with God in full public view, was the phrase he used, Mm. full public view. And then he talked about being transparent and being vulnerable. And that was in those days in our churches, that was not normal stuff. And so I remember being greatly impacted by that going back. I was, we had a staff of about 32 people at DPI at the time. It was kind of golden age for DPI. Mm. And uh, we were doing kids curriculum and all kinds of things. And, but I remember going back and just, talking to our staff about the fact that I wanted to live my life that way. Anyway, seeing that this week made me think, if you're going to do this podcast thing, you ought to be in full, full public view. <laughs> and, and so in full public view means to tell you that I have a history of kind of anxiety attacks. Yeah. And uh, especially around things where it's the first time I've ever done it. Okay. And so this is the first time I've ever done a, huh. a podcast or a interview. First time I've ever been interviewed uh, for in a, you know, an audio interview. So I put something on Facebook today. I said, no telling how many times my friend Douglas Jacoby has been interviewed. <laughs> this, is, this is my first time ever. And so uh, anyway, that's just full public view, full disclosure, caveats, whatever. Uh, I feel very comfortable today. I actually even thinking about being honest about that, yeah. sort of just relieved, relieved all my anxiety.
0: Well, I, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate having you on and, and I can assure you, um, I, first of all, I can't believe this is the first time you've been interviewed, but second of all, I assure you it's all, it goes up from here. The level of quality of interviewing um, only can go up. This is a, you, you're starting out at kind of the starter kit here. So, 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 but you're, you, you're, you're doing phenomenal. Now, let, let me throw another question at you. Um, did I, now I
1: you've dodged the, did I dodge
0: the last question? I can't remember. I, I, who, I think you answered it. I don't even know. We're just talking at this point. Okay. Some, somebody will listen and you know, write me later and be like, no, you never answer it. But I think you did. Um, but, uh, we're, we're just talking about what we want to talk about anyways. So, uh, the questions are just suggestions, but so you've written, um, a a number of other books and a variety of topics, and a lot of them before the Kingdom of God trilogy that you've worked on the last 10 years here. Uh, If you were to rewrite any of those or, or, you know, updated versions or whatever, would you make changes uh, in light of, you know, maybe your, your new emphasis on the kingdom of God and what might some of those changes be?
1: Hmm. That's a good question. And, uh, actually would like to work on that. Some, I think one of the things I may want to do is go back and just do a word search. (laughs) How how often did the term kingdom even show up? You know, some of those books, uh, I feel like that I would probably like most authors who look back on things they've written and want to make some changes. But I feel like for the most part, uh, there just might be some clarification that needed to be done. But I feel like some of the concepts were still there. I mean, like I think of the first book that we ever did at DPI. It was an anthology and we did a whole we, we, did, we did 12 of these anthologies. You may remember they were called um, Power for the Morning or something. No, I, I can't remember what we, even what we call the series. The, uh, did the first one was uh, 30 Days at the Foot of the Cross. Okay. And the second one, interestingly enough, was called First the Kingdom. Mm. And the first one was all focused on the cross, of course. And I love the statement that I've got. I think I've got it in at least volume one and volume two of the kingdom series. And by the way, it was nice for you to say trilogy. <laughs> that has a nice, that has a nice sound to it. <laughs> glad, we, glad we can finally say that.
0: That's awesome.
1: I think got the, number, the third one, but uh It's a quote from John Howard Yoder. You've read some of Yoder? Sure, sure. Most of it. He was my real introduction to some of this back in about 1974. Uh, That's when he came out with a book called The Politics of Jesus. Yep. And I happened to be the book editor at the time for the Campus Journal, which was the publication for Campus Ministries in churches of Christ. And so publishers like Zonderman and Erdman's sent me a lot of free copies of books. And so I got Yoder's book, Politics of Jesus. I probably would have never found it if they hadn't sent that to me. Uh, And remember plowing through it. It was very difficult read for me at the time, but he had that statement in there about the cross that, so well worded, I can't quote it right now. It's in both Volume One, Volume Two, I know. But that the cross is not kind of some subsidiary or extra thing you throw. You know, the cross is the kingdom come. And hmm. so, if if I were to redo that, 30 days. And by the way, that that book is still out there being published now. 20 years later, still quite a few copies every year. But, uh, and then the second one of those was called first the kingdom. Now I'm not sure we really captured in that book, that anthology with 31 authors, the essence of the kingdom, but I've I've gone back and reread the introduction to it several times fairly recently and I still feel great about it. Hmm. So, yeah. So Maybe the spirit was just helping us along, Uh, but I had had quite a bit of background in studying the kingdom prior to beginning DPI in 92. And some of this is in the back of the first kingdom book, but I had been introduced to Yoder's book in 74 when I was teaching at what's now called Missouri State University was teaching in the Department of Religion, teaching Introduction to the New Testament. And I was using some of Yoder's stuff, and I was using uh, George Elton Ladd, who was the very famous evangelical professor from Fuller Theological Seminary, who did a massive volume, uh, Theology of the New Testament. Mm. And the first uh, number of chapters of that book are on the Kingdom of God. And he had actually written a separate book prior to doing that big volume. He had written a separate book just on the kingdom of God. But he introduced the concept to me of the now, not yet, and the future breaking in to the present. Uh, And so I had been, you know, I had that background and had taught a lot of that for a number of years. But then somehow, as I got into our movement, Family of Churches, the emphasis was way somewhere else. And so it began to sort of recede, in my mind, away from the center.
0: Hmm.
1: Although I will tell you this, you said I'm free to kind of wander around here.
0: Absolutely. I
1: I did sit down with uh, kind of the major leader of our Family of Churches when I got to Boston in 1987 and I said, I, I cannot teach this kingdom of God study really that you have here. And so he said, well, how would you teach it? (laughs) And so I I explained not exactly what I'm saying now, but something very similar. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, go teach it, go teach it. I had the same thing same kind of discussion on the discipleship study as well and um really it,
0: yeah so that's that's amazing so there's you your, oh there's go your, ahead
1: there's, there's your nugget for the day
0: yeah that's that's pretty amazing actually that we could talk about that for a long time but I'll yeah. I'll uh I'll, I'll and by the way
1: by the way, when I did do later, I did the book on Jesus called "No One Like Him." Uh, we did that one, and I guess that came out in '99 or 2000. And so it's got a chapter on the kingdom in it, and those that was taken mostly from my notes of teaching at Missouri State. Oh, okay, teaching which I'd been teaching ten years, oh, twenty years earlier. Mm and then i've got two chapters on the beatitudes which are called the kingdom attitudes you know in in the book on jesus
0: yeah so, so you mentioned yoder and lad as influences Is, are, are there any other authors which you would say were really influential uh, in a positive sense on on your understanding or learning of the kingdom of God over time. Anybody else that jumps to mind beyond those two?
1: Well, the first book I read, and I read this one while I was in graduate school, was John Bright's book called The Kingdom of God. Okay. Uh, I remember uh, buying that book in the campus bookstore at Harding School of Theology. Uh, I've said other places that, there was almost no emphasis on the kingdom in my graduate education. Uh, I I remember it hardly ever being mentioned, except maybe in the typical church of Christ way of the time of thinking of the the kingdom as the church. Mm. Uh, And so, but I remember being in the bookstore and, picking up this book on the kingdom of God by John Bright and reading it. Um, may not have read it a lot until I got out of Harding. I had so much other stuff I had to read that. I may not have read that book till I was out of graduate school. Uh, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to quickly call to mind. Someone else who, who had a lot of influence on my, on my thinking besides the, uh, those two you've mentioned um lad and yoder
0: okay yeah and and i you know personally i've i've uh i know of lad i've not read lad i've read uh yoder some um you know for me i would add in as far as influential authors probably the most influential for me on the kingdom of god there's many but it would be nt wright
1: uh oh yeah later yeah i'm sorry yeah much later in fact uh NT Wright didn't come into my purview until, or my rate across my radar, until maybe a year or two before we wrote our book on the kingdom of God.
0: Gotcha. And I remember
1: Steve and I, we, Steve and I were already working on our stuff, and somebody said, Well, you ought to read NT Wright. And so then when we we found this camaraderie, you know, with his thinking.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's he's, and that that was about
1: the same time we also became aware of the writing of Lee Camp. Oh yeah, sure. Who is here? Who is here in Nashville? You know where we are, and so Lee had studied under Yoder at Notre Dame. Oh okay, and got his PhD under Yoder, and so Lee wrote the book Mere Discipleship. Yes, it's kind of a takeoff on Mere Christianity, obviously, but he had wanted to make the writings of Yoder, which were not all that accessible to the average person, it was difficult reading. Uh, sorry, hang on just a minute.
0: No problem.
1: Uh, and so Lee Camp really lit a fire under, she, uh, Steve and me, when we started working you know, on that about you know about ten years, ten or twelve years ago, and Steve and I actually went over to. Lipscomb University had lunch with Lee several times, uh, had him read our drafts of the kingdom of God. And of course he's gone on to write some other things now as well.
0: Yeah. I'll I'll tell you why that's incredible. I'm, I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but somehow he had uh, Lee camp was not on my radar. Um, I, I had not heard of him. You know, I thought I'd read everything I could grab hold of until after um, after I had just finished escaping the beast and sending in the final sort of manuscript to the to the publisher uh, a, a friend of mine who's a, a mainstream Church of Christ minister in Wisconsin sent me a a manuscript of a new book of uh, Lee camps uh, called I think it's called scandalous witness I, I read the book quickly mm-hmm. but I I didn't you know it was on computer so i didn't i didn't have the cover to burn the title in my mind and i was like this is phenomenal and so then i went back and and looked and found uh you know a couple other books found mere discipleship uh, at the end of this summer and and read that and oh holy cow Like I just loved that book. I was like, this book is over a decade old and I didn't know about it. I was was kind of upset. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were portions of it. I I had written to a friend of mine to recommend that he read it. And I said, when you read this book, you're going to think that I sort of built Escaping the Beast on this book, but I I didn't know it existed. (laughs) Um, It's it's phenomenal. Um, So that's really cool to me that you have met him and spent some time with him. I I actually, um, here's that full disclosure thing, right? Public view. Um, I, I actually kind of wanted to reach out to him and, and connect. And then I was like, ah, oh, who am I? I'm not, you know, and I talked myself out of it. Like I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm kind of shy actually a little bit naturally. And I was like, ah, I'm not gonna mm-hmm. waste his time. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I absolutely love mere discipleship. I think it's a phenomenal book. Well, yeah. I'm,
1: Grateful, we're having this conversation because uh, one of the things I've been doing the last few weeks, you may know others know that Sheila and I are in a much more limited situation we We're in a actually in an assisted living facility now. My wife's Parkinson's has progressed to that point where we needed to get help but i'm I'm literally in lockdown all the time, you know, yeah can't even go to the store. Uh, but I've been trying to reach out in different ways. So I've been sending copies of uh, the Kingdom of God series and Escaping the Beast to quite a number of people. Uh, <laughs> and so I will add Lee, it hadn't hit me, that Lee probably hasn't seen your book. And,
0: uh, oh, I'm sure it, he hasn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he, he will by this next week. It will <laughs> it, it will be on
0: his desk. Well, that's uh, that's that's awesome. I appreciate that. Now, you 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 mentioned, uh, or I I'd asked you about you know adding to to books and what you might change. And this is just kind of a, a side note. By this, the
1: way, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I didn't ever finish that. That's a that's a thing I want to spend some time on.
0: Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. No, I, l- I look forward to the updated versions. But th- this is more just a a personal question uh, from you know, someone who's written some books to, to an author here. Um, do, do you ever have this thing where you, okay, you finish a book and you send it in and it's being published. And then like right after it's too late. Then like all these other ideas hit you, or you read some other book, and you're like, oh, I should have included that thought. Uh, man, I would have loved to have changed that. And it just becomes this torturous process. Is that just me, or does that sound familiar at all? Uh, every, every time. Every time. <laughs> okay, is, good. Good. That's, I thought- why,
1: that's why I'm glad we live in the age we do. That's why I started my own uh, website recently. And I, I mentioned that in the website, that, that the website gives you an opportunity. To kind of people on on stuff you have learned since the book went to print. So,
0: what is your website name? Let's get that out there.
1: Just simple as it can be: TomAJones.com.
0: All right, TomAJones.com. So please go check that out. Um, we'll we'll mention that again at the end of the episode. Let me ask you another question. Um, so. Well, let me, let me back up. I was going to ask another question, but let me ask a couple more questions about uh, the book specifically. The the second book on the kingdom of God is called the sermon and the life. And it, it focuses almost exclusively on the sermon on the mount. Why did, why did you choose to do that? What do you think is so important about the sermon on the mount? And why is it so key to understanding the kingdom of God?
1: Well, as I look at the way Matthew put his gospel together, it seems pretty clear to me that when he introduces it by saying, Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is near or is at hand or is upon you, and then immediately moves into the Sermon on the Mount, and, and the way I used to put it, I don't know if this is the best way, but it's like Sermon on the Mount is an extended discussion of what it means to repent
0: mm. and
1: let the kingdom come, you know, into your life. And so you start off with those what I call the kingdom attitudes, and they're the they're they're the definition of repentance, you know. They're the opposite of the way everybody naturally thinks, right. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And so it's a discussion of This is how you get started in bringing the kingdom into the present age. You live these attitudes, you live this heart out in the midst of other people's lives. And so to me, and I, again, in that little devotional series we did on first, the kingdom, there's some really right things in there, but we didn't connect all the dots, you know, in that series back 90, 93, 94, whenever we first did that. Yeah. But to me that that's where Matthew goes with it, you know, more than any other of, of the gospels. Uh, and to me it is. And then, so you've got, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Mm. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom. <laughs> and you've got praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. And then you've got seek first mm. the kingdom mm. and his righteousness. or And you're probably getting into this in your podcast, his righteousness, his justice. You know, uh, and so it's just shot through with the kingdom. The sermon is right. And it's clear that as you get to the end of it, which, by the way, I heard Steve Brown teach on the end of it today. Steve and I are in a seniors group here in Nashville called the Pace Setters. And right now, Steve is teaching through Matthew. And so he's been in the Sermon on the Mount. But today we were in the passage about the way is narrow. If you find it, well, yeah, it's narrow because it's so radically different. You know, it's living heaven now in the midst of this present age. Not very many people want to do that. Right. That brings about a lot of stress and tension and conflict. It's, and this is a word, I love, and maybe we'll come back to this later, but it's subversive. Yeah. You know, and the Sermon on the Mount is subversive. Everybody who's ever really wrestled with it knows that. That's that's just, just another interesting scholarly study, all the different reactions from Dostoyevsky to other people, Tolstoy, to the Sermon on the Mount itself. But it is so much the essence of the kingdom.
0: Hmm. Let, let me ask you this. Maybe this will be the first time you've ever been asked this question. Because I think a lot of times we'll ask people like, what's your favorite verse or what's your favorite passage? When you think of the Sermon on the Mount, what's your least favorite part of the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is, oh, hopefully it makes sense, but you know, there's it, it is so subversive and so challenging. And there's parts yeah. of it that I just don't like. Naturally... Um, yeah. that I struggle with what what's your least favorite part full disclosure <laughs>
1: full public view yeah the text about marriage and adultery and divorce
0: and mm, mm, mm. <laughs> uh,
1: because of all the pastoral issues it brings up
0: <laughs> oh sure
1: yeah. So, I mean, that's that's just the first thing that comes to mind.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, you know, I think for, uh, go ahead, go ahead.
1: On another level, on another level, the most challenging part right now of the Sermon on the Mount to me, I don't know if I'd say it's my least favorite. I, I don't know if I'd put it that way, but, and I've been saying this for 10 years since we wrote the first book, is the whole thing about, at the end of Matthew six about not laying up on earth treasures in heaven, there's this radical emphasis on you know not being caught up in financial things of this world, of material physical things of this world. Uh, I, I'm still trying to receive the kingdom on that one. I feel yeah. like I might be making some progress on that one, but. <laughs> have a long way to go. I I know there's this radical generosity in there about, and it's not just, it's not being a monk. It's not just going out and denying yourself everything. That's not what Jesus, I don't think that's what he's about, but instead it's a radical generosity of sharing with others, of giving. And uh, I'm still trying to, get
0: my arms around that. That's, that's incredible. I, I, I would love to see you write a book about that. Uh, Cause you, you know, what I've experienced is I, I, I think I, I'm with you on that. And I thought, man, okay, we'll make a decision to just kind of live open handed, generous, you know, just sort of be that way for the kingdom. But then as I've gotten older, uh, I, I thought it would actually get easier uh, but it's actually gotten harder where you just start to get more, you know, more like, nah, you know, I kind of deserve to have a few things comfortable in the way I like it. And, and that demands some building up of some things. And so it's actually gotten harder to follow that as, as I've gotten older. So that, that's a brilliant point. And if, uh, if you're in the business of looking for another book to write a topic, I think that would be uh, phenomenal.
1: I'll put that on. <laughs> I'll put that one on the list, but I'm not ready. I'm not ready for that one. Yet.
0: All right, fair, uh, fair I enough. Do have,
1: I, I did. I'm not going to go there with you today, but I, I have had an idea for another book that that I, I wasn't expecting at all that came my way this week. So I've been quite excited about it, but I'm not. I'm not ready to be full public view on that one yet.
0: I I, I understand. I've got like two ideas that are kind of back in the hamper somewhere that um but yeah i've learned the hard way that if you throw out an idea to people and say i'm thinking about writing this book and then some people get really excited about it and then they get very irritated with you if you decide down the road that you're you're you know you're maybe not called to write that book or it's not the right time
1: there have been been some people irritated with steve and me that we been so long in getting a third volume out and then it then it probably disappointed them it wasn't at all what we originally said it would be it <laughs> 10 years ago
0: well that that's a great segue let me ask you about the third book learn learning war no more which uh i guess if i sum that up in a couple of words i would say it focuses on the the kingdom aspect of radical peacemaking and what that uh, really, some of the challenges of what that looks like. Um, well, so, sum that book up for us a little bit, if you can. What's what's kind of your thesis of the the third kingdom book, uh, and, and why is it why is it so challenging? So, w- w- what's that book about? How how does it challenge us?
1: Okay. Well, the third book uh, was. Oddly born, uh, it it was never envisioned to be what it ended up being. And I go through quite a long explanation in the introduction, which is now posted on my website, uh, of why we ended up there. So this will probably be too condensed a version for some people, but if you want a longer version, you can go there. But uh, it spins off of the text in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and by the way, she, Steve and I came to call that the Sermon on the Kingdom. Uh, it was given from a mount, but it was really, the topic of it was the Kingdom.
0: I like that, yep.
1: And so, you know, there you've got, at the end of Chapter 5, you've got the, the non-resistance uh, passage. You've got the uh, Love Your Enemies passage, which, uh, I still am amazed at the exposition of that passage that Bonhoeffer did in the cost of discipleship, uh, at 31 years old, it, it was unbelievably brilliant for him to write what he wrote about what all loving your enemies meant Mm. and what it, what it meant to not be like the others, you know, who, even they love their friends and so, so forth. I, I would just encourage someone. And, and so we did. I put an appendix in the back of Volume 3, just in case somebody happened to get Volume 3 and didn't have Volume 2. I, I wanted them to be able to read the chapter we had written earlier in the sermon, in, the, in Volume 2 on the Sermon on the Kingdom about loving your enemies. And, and it really was spinning off of that that we went into a lot more depth. Now, I did something in the book that would not be my first choice to do. I, I tried to answer a whole bunch of questions mm. about about the topic. And and actually, you know, one of those things, Michael, I, I had a little bit of publishers or printer authors on and you can help me maybe later on know whether it, this is true or not, but I, I was afraid that maybe volume three didn't communicate enough that this whole idea of radical peacemaking is kind of the essence of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, and it certainly would fit together with Morse being said to fit it together more with your concept, and it's not just yours, but the one you emphasize a lot—the gathering of the nations—and then and when I read when I read your stuff about the gathering of the nations, it hits me. I go, how could we possibly kill other people?
0: <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> if we're trying to gather the nations as our brothers and sisters, how could we possibly go train for war to go kill them? Right, you know, just make, and so I'm trying to say in this book that, and I don't know if I did a good job with it or not, but that I believe we can answer the different questions people ask. But that's not really the issue. Can you? It's it's not like it's some kind of legalistic list, and can you make sure you go through and you've got a good polemic against all the uh, opposing viewpoints or whatever? But do we see that this is the essence of the kingdom life to love your enemy, you know, and, and to be like God in that sense. Mm. And who, who, while we were enemies, Christ died for us, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I had the privilege of reading the third volume learning war no more before it was published, um, in manuscript form. And I think you, you did accomplish all of that and more. I think it's, uh, very well written. I love, I love the topic. I think as, as always, you are challenging and yet respectful and, um, but, but challenging, I'll repeat that word, challenging, respectful, and challenging. Uh, and I I would encourage anyone to that's listening to this if you haven't uh, read the the Kingdom of God Volume Three Learning War No More, order it today, uh, wrestle with it. It's it's not a, a long book. You you have a a gift of brevity in your writing which I do not have. Uh, I, I tend to be a little uh, wordier, and you know I think if anything for me it's from my, uh, paranoia of not saying something well. So I want to try to answer everything. Like, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm not saying. Here's definitely what I'm not saying here. Let me, you know, and try to cover all those bases. And so, uh, but, but you have a, a, a conciseness, uh, to the, this writing, which is I, I appreciate, but I, again, I encourage people to to go out and, and get that book and it, you know, even if it's not something, uh, you know, what I love is I do think you're, you're forceful and appropriately. So without, uh, you know, without being dogmatic in in the sense of, uh, but, but making, I I think you do make clear that this is a central aspect of what it means to be the kingdom. you know, going all the way back to Isaiah two, uh, they'll, they'll beat their swords into plowshares. That's, that's, You know, all through Isaiah is this message of this is going to be a kingdom of peace and it's going to be different from the nations. And I I think you make that clear and and do so very well. Let me as our as our time starts to go to a close here. I can't have you all day, although I I wish I could. Uh, I would I would love to just keep talking until the the sun went down today. But
1: I'd love to. I'd love to come back sometime.
0: Well, definitely, definitely. You, you name your time. But I, I do have a couple more questions I want to ask you here um, and, and maybe kind of bring it uh, a little more to uh, the present day in a sense. Uh, but your the first volume, as we mentioned, on The Kingdom of God came out about 10 years ago. How, how do you feel... About what you've seen in our family of churches during the last decade in regard to kingdom theology where where are we at with that? How are we developing in that? Mm.
1: well, um not as much as I would have hoped mm. uh. Steve and I got quite a few invitations early on uh, to speak, and we did. We, we spoke in churches in Florida. We spoke in churches in California, uh, Nevada, Las Vegas, um, Missouri. Midwest. We we've got quite a few invitations, and that was good because I couldn't – I have MS, and I use a wheelchair, and so – I'm not the most mobile person in the world. I can't get around to a lot of places and and then just deal with a lot of fatigue issues too. Mm. Steve also has physical challenges. One, something that's brought us a lot of bonding with each other, but, and, and some of those responses were, were very warm and, and enthusiastic, but, I've not seen much built on those
0: Mm.
1: since it had since the beginning. You know, there's some very enthusiastic fans out there, people who, who really think we're onto something here that's right, that write us and encourage us. But in terms of it moving the needle much, in terms of what our churches look like and are they being shaped by this message Not yet. Maybe it's just not yet. (laughs) Maybe it takes a lot longer. Uh, I'm certainly encouraged beyond, almost beyond words with someone like you. It's it's like, where did this guy come from? (laughs) Uh, School teacher, Midwest. uh, I, I began to pick up a few things you were writing big big books like you know right right big format books uh look like catalogs or <laughs> you know that you were writing. <laughs> who is this person but i can't tell you how encouraged i am that you are having the kind of impact you are having and uh, god has certainly brought you in through some of the crises in our country right now our world right now through the racial dynamics, you are you're definitely the man of the hour here with just your own personal story but uh, I, I I fear I, can I, I'll, I'll say a fear, maybe a fear uh, I fear that present leadership in our churches is not going to move the needle much mm. on, on the kingdom theology my hope is that younger people will be inspired. Uh, I'm afraid some of us are just still too comfortable. Uh, there's There's something about the kingdom that is subversive, and I think that some of us don't want to go there anymore, uh, yeah. And don't want the don't want don't want the rub. I could be wrong. I'd love to be wrong about that. But I'd love to see. You, you know, I think I talked about this some back ten years ago. But I think it was N.T. Wright who probably helped me see that the call to repentance and receive the kingdom as much as anything was for the call for Israel to repent of its agenda for the kingdom, Mm. to let go of its agenda to the kingdom. And I feel like we as a collective family of churches need to repent, need to let go of our agenda for the kingdom and need to move into a mode of radical, eagerness and reception wanting to receive the kingdom you know just re wanting wanting it to come really praying god your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and psalm 139 test our hearts show us anything that's not grounded in jesus understanding of the kingdom and help us change wow preaching
0: I'm preaching that's that's phenomenal um mm-hmm. you, you know and I I couldn't think of a better way to end the episode than on on those thoughts um and, and I will say I will say this I I am optimistic that we you know in the next 10 or 20 years will continue to to grow as a fellowship continue to uh, bear out God's kingdom and uh, you know, I think that I think there is more of an embracing of that than maybe uh, you even see. And I think you've had more of an influence than you may realize. And, and so, I, I just want to encourage you with that. I'm I'm not just saying that to make you feel good. That's that's a truth. I think uh, there are a lot of folks who. Um, get it and want to see the kingdom. And maybe kind of in that spot of like, okay, we we get it, we're not quite sure how to get there, but we're open, God lead, God move. And I think, uh, you know, maybe um, to, to somewhat paraphrase a, a quote from uh, a friend of mine, I, I know a friend of yours as well, Roger Lamb, he says, you know, the pandemic uh, was kind of God's way of giving us a timeout and saying, okay, go to your room and now think about think about the kingdom, think about race, think about some of the things that we need to focus on and, and reassess from God's perspective and come out with a new way uh, of thinking. And so I, I appreciate all that you do and continue to do. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I don't feel can like,
1: just, can I just add one, please, one thing? Please. Uh, you're reminding me that uh, the last three sermons in the Nashville church uh, were all on the kingdom. Totally Amen. unexpected. We, we have a young brother who's been here on staff for a number of years. He's leaving to go to another church. Uh, last sermon he preached was on living heaven in the present age. And, and so then that inspired our lead evangelist to preach a follow-up sermon to that one. And then as God would have it, Steve Brown had the sermon after that. And so we've had three straight weeks. So you've left me, that leaves me encouraged. You've left me
0: encouraged. Well, amen. That's that's awesome. I appreciate it. I I will say, uh, and there's a reason I'm going to say this. Mr. Jones, thank you so much for joining us. I just don't feel like saying Tom uh, conveys the amount of respect that I have for you. So uh, I will end this with saying, Mr. Jones, thank you so much uh, for joining me. Thank you for giving your time. And and I will definitely have you back on uh, down the road here. Th- thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Michael. All what right. Enjoy
0: well, I hope you had fun today and, uh, enjoyed that, got something out of it. If, if you didn't, I think you're crazy, but at the very least I had a blast. And so, uh, man, w- what a great time to have, uh, Tom on and, and join us. And I look forward to, uh, getting some of his wisdom in, in the future. That's phenomenal. So, you know, hey, we're coming to a close here. Uh, do check out Tom's website, tomajones.com. If you uh, you know want to get his books on the, the Kingdom of God, uh, there's some links there. You can also go to ipibooks.com. If you have any questions or feedback for me here, go to All Things to All People podcast at gmail.com. If you want to buy Escaping the Beast or any of my books, you can go to michaelburnsteachingministry.com. We'd appreciate that. And hey, if you enjoy the podcast, please share it with some friends uh, through social media or however you might invite them to become a listener as well. If you haven't joined the Facebook page already, be sure to do that. All Things to All People Podcast with Michael Burns on Facebook. Appreciate so much you listening. We'll see you next time on the All Things All People podcast.